Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. Well, good evening! evening! Sorry we're a little late getting started, but uh, not really technical difficulties, just uh, part of the evening service, really. Sometimes it just gets started later, sometimes it gets started sooner, and sometimes it doesn't live stream at all. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so, now, as uh, Kevin said, my name is Mitch Gorman. Um, I am, um, well, we're all technically counselors at Save the Cowboy, but I'm kind of our our resident counselor here, and um, I'm always blessed to get up here And when Tyler asks me to speak, because he's usually, um, two weeks in a row, he's usually on shift on Sundays, and so usually, sometimes I'll do two in a row, or we really like in the evening services to give somebody else um, that wants to share their story a shot to share their story, and so, but, you know, a lot of times, you know, I was like, I was telling Nate this morning, I was like, gosh, Sometimes I'd like to branch out and talk about something else and what I usually talk about. But then, you know, the Holy Spirit kind of convicts me and says, you know, maybe that's what they need to hear. And that's most of the time when I do my study and a lot of it is on the human heart and the human mind and the things that make us tick and the things uh, that I can help people with, you know, and that's kind of what my call to ministry was, was, um, was to help people that were hurting that didn't need to hurt themselves to help those in need. And so if, if some of my sermons get a little redundant, I'm, I'm trying more ways to, to explain things, you know, because there's 900 ways to skin a cat. And this is kind of, uh, you know, even though a lot of what I talk about um, is somewhat redundant in a lot of my sermons, I think um, it's just as beneficial for me as it is for you. And so this is, you know, sometimes, uh, or not sometimes, you know, a lot of times pastors, they, they really preach about what they're going through. And, and this is a kind of a sermon that's near and dear to my heart here lately, and um, I couldn't help but just get started with a story. Um, so I grew up um, in cowboy country, um, southwest Kansas. Uh, really, it's cowboy country. But um, So I grew up, um, my parents got two feed jars, and they run a bunch of outside cattle, and all, to, all together it's about 30,000 head. I mean, it could be 30,000, could be 15, kind of in between there. Never know how many they're going to be. So... Kind of a backstory too. My dad, um, he kind of moved out um, to Southwest Kansas from uh, Northwest Missouri, and he moved to. He actually was on a rodeo scholarship to OPSU and moved out there on a Greyhound bus with ten dollars to his name, and a and a suitcase. And so, an amazing, amazing story. A, a story for another time. But just all the great success that my dad had have. I had growing up. I had a really hard time living up to, and he didn't even put that pressure on me. I think just somehow through other people, all of, you know, his friends, or just knowing what he was, and just worshiping growing up, you know, I just wanted to be just like him so bad, and my dad traveled with a lot of big name guys riding bucking horses, and I'm built a lot different than my dad. My dad's like five foot five, and was 120 pounds, and he was riding bucking horses. I'm six foot, six foot one, 250 pounds, all right? I'm not built, I'm not built anything like him, so (laughs) I had it in my mind that I was going to ride bucking horses, too, and um, I'll tell you a story how that went, because obviously I'm still not riding bucking horses, so that could be a little, uh, <laughs> a little foreshadowing on what to come, what's to come. But uh, no, I remember we, uh, you know, my dad had always had a few hoppers around just for kids to get on. We'd always go into town and where the bucking shoots were, and we'd always invite kids out that wanted to get on bucking horses and just, um, 
just give them a shot, you know, because there's a lot of times, you know, especially in today's day and age, nobody really gives a lot of these kids a chance to go practice and really just get some confidence under their belt. They just go and enter their money at a rodeo, get absolutely hammered, and I don't mean in an alcohol way, I mean just get slammed every single time, and there's just no confidence in these kids. So anyways, we had all these hoppers around. My dad started me off on steers. That's another story for itself. Every time my dad, <laughs> a saddle bronc on steers is a lot of fun, just so you know, I'm not going to get into that, but uh, it can also hurt you pretty bad because, uh, like I said, story another time. I don't want to get into that. But anyways, you know, things were going really good, and I was getting on these hoppers, and things were, you know, doing pretty okay. You know, if I couldn't, if I couldn't really set my feet on every single jump or whatever, I'd just hit my Ds, and I'd be safe. And, you know, sooner and later, I figured out, you know, I just kind of had my mind. I didn't get cocky. I just was like, you know, if I'm really going to do this, I want to get on something that really bucks. And my uncle is a horse trader, trades horses, gets all kinds of stuff. He rides broncs all the time, big ranch bronc rider. And he always had something that was bucking somebody off, that bucked hard, whatever. So he found us this wild Mustang that had never been touched. And this horse did buck. I didn't know how well at the time because we'd never bucked him out. But my uncle said that he bucked, so I, I knew he bucked. And so we run this big bay horse in the chute. And um, I just got a brand new set of stirrup leathers from Lester Sims. And them things, brand new stirrup players on a Bronx saddle are like two by fours. They're that stiff. <laughs> so anybody that's ever been on a bucking horse, and I'm not a professional at it by no means, but I do know that a good horse that bucks will move your feet back and really stiff stirrup leathers, leathers will move your feet forward without you having to move them. All right. And so I had my dad's old Bronx riding spurs and they were pretty, pretty sharp. And so I just remember I'm like, man, if I'm really going to do this, I want to get on something that really bucks. So I get on this horse, and let me tell you, the last thing I remember on this horse was was my mark out was my was my mark out, and my mark out was strong. All right, I hit this horse. I laid the iron to this horse, and it was hard. I do remember that. All right, and I remember the first two jumps after that, and after that, I don't remember a whole lot. All right. And so, from what I've been told, I was actually riding this horse pretty well and hitting him in the top of the main every jump, not because of my doing, but because of my new stirrup players. I guarantee it wasn't my doing. But anyways, um, this horse just, he wasn't even, there was a video of it. Uh, I don't remember the video either. But anyways, uh, this horse really didn't do anything dirty. He just jumped out and kicked out across there, probably an 18-pointer, not even just a little above her hopper and I was right-handed and so I had my hack, hack rein in my right hand and apparently when I hit the ground I didn't let go of my rein and so it kind of whiplashed my head on the ground and knocked me out all right and I kind of get started there because have any of y'all ever really been bucked off hard hard maybe it wasn't a horse maybe it was a four-wheeler Maybe it's just been life lately. <laughs> All of the above made sense. Amen. <laughs> but has you ever been bucked off so hard to where you couldn't catch your breath? And what do you do in that moment when you can't catch your breath? Because that's exactly what debilitating anxiety and depression is. You think you're going to die. I can remember the only thing else I remember from that day, we bucked out horses for a while. I sat behind the chutes zoned out. I don't, <laughs> I don't remember how I got there. But all I remember is on my hands and knees going, 
That's the only thing I could do was squeal like a pig and bark like a dog, all right? (laughs) But what if that's the first step out of your anxiety and depression is just being able to get up on your hands and knees? Because I've been in that rut here lately, and, you know, I've struggled with depression my whole entire life. Didn't really even know it until the last few years. I just thought it was normal to be sad all the time, (laughs) you know? Sad, tired all the time. I just thought that was normal. But I've been getting better at it, and there's a few reasons why that I want to share with you today. And they may not be for everybody. may not even be for you. But it may be for somebody that you know. But I know the first step was just to get on my hands and knees and just try to catch my air. Laying down and staying there wasn't an option, right? It wasn't an option because my dad wasn't going to let it happen, and also because the other guys that were getting on Bronx weren't going to let it happen either. They want to get on a Bronx, all right? Die behind the shoots. <laughs> Die behind the shoots. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the conclusion to that thought, is in order to get something that you've never had before, you're going to have to do something that you've never done, and sometimes that's just getting up on your hands and knees and just catching that first breath, Right? And the next thing I can remember in that story was the first person that was to me was my dad. He was picking up at the time, but he was, first thing that was, first person that was there was my dad. And now, there's not really anything theological to what my dad did next, but um, as I was on my hands and knees, he was laughing, slapping me on the back, saying, <laughs> telling me to spit all the dirt out of my mouth. <laughs> all right? Couldn't breathe anyways, and they're slapping me on the back laughing, all right? <laughs> Side note, he said, if you've, ever, if you've been bucked off that hard before and survived it, that's the hardest you'll ever get bucked off. <laughs> but that's the first thing I can remember was that my dad was there. Right? And the beauty of all of that is every time, whether you know it or not, your dad is always the first one there to help you up if you let him. And that dad I'm talking about is our God. I've stood up and preached time and time again about the change that Jesus offers, but I think the best way to put it is something I heard all this week from Brad McLean, our pastor from Weather, gave a amazing message this morning, but he said, Jesus is is God's yes. And if you let Jesus help you back up, you won't have to worry about whenever you get the air knocked out of you, because it will happen again. Satan likes to make sure of that. But the first person that's going to be there is our God. Right? And, man, that's so hard to to acknowledge sometimes, because just like as Brad was talking about this morning, man, it's so hard, especially through all the pains that you have. You know, you can have the most amazing dad in the world, and this is not a knocks on dad. You can have the most amazing dad in the world, yet sometimes they're going to hurt you, right? Brad was talking about this morning, you had the most amazing dad, and he he had a great dad, but he still had scars from him. And that translates into, into our Heavenly Father not wanting to be able to trust him, right? It doesn't mean we had a bad dad here on earth. Our dads here aren't perfect on earth, right? And so if you want to get into more of that, let's go listen to Brad's sermon. I won't get a ton in it today, but, but just, just know that, that our Heavenly Father isn't anything like your earthly dad. No matter how great he was, and no matter how bad he was. But the second part of that is admitting that you've lost your air. Right? At that point in time, it's pretty easy to know when you've lost your air because you don't have any, right? <laughs> all, all I know, all I know is all that air in Mead, Kansas, and I couldn't get none of it, all right? <laughs> yeah, it was gone. But that's the hardest thing sometimes is, is spiritually when you get the air knocked out of you, is admitting that you even have a problem and that you need help. 
And this is a huge step and probably the hardest. But also not admitting that you have a problem is the best way to staying exactly where you are. And it's 100% pride and denial. Which is also another way of saying, you don't need God because you don't have any problems. I've never met a person who doesn't have some sort of addiction, some sort of lot that they struggle with. And here's the catalyst is that doing it all yourself and not admitting that you actually have a problem is a surefire way to keep you completely alone without no connection to God or others around you because you know who was the second person that was there that day? It was my uncle and my brother. But the first person was my dad. And just like when we fall down, God is there with us. But the second person that were people that were there that day to help me back up, and this is the second point in my story and second point into my sermon about how to get up after you've been knocked down blindsided. The second people there were the people that were there for me. They're my brother Dylan and my, my uncle, right? And I don't know how many times I've been knocked down spiritually. My brothers have been there for me. And that's the next step is to let people help you and let people love on you. And that's easier said than done. But that comes right in after admitting you have a problem because guess what? You're not going to let anybody love you whenever you don't admit you have a problem. Been there, done that, still have the t-shirt, still do it. Very much in denial. And I think one of the biggest things I've ever had to do in my life is admit that I needed help, not only from God. Actually, that was the easy part for me. The hard part was admitting that I wasn't perfect to the people around me. And a big reason was because I just didn't trust most people. It wasn't that I didn't trust God mostly. It's because I didn't trust people. I've had a lot more people pain than I've had God pain, I think. Side note, that's why most people have a problem with Christianity because they have a problem with people, not because they have a problem with God. But admitting you actually have a problem and confessing it, not doing that just leads to posing. It leads to you posing, just trying to be perfect, showing everybody you're perfect, you don't have any problems. And really what you're doing is just putting on a mask. Everything's okay. You know, a couple weeks ago, I got up here, and I think, even though I didn't really admit it at the time, my denial, I was pretty depressed at the time, but I got up, and I didn't even know I was going to say this on a Sunday morning. It just came out, I guess, but I was just talking about, you know, when I come into church, people ask me how I am. You know, usually I say, oh, pretty good. How are you? Oh, good. Doing great. God is good, you know? Typical answer for a church Sunday, but the more I started realizing it, the more I realized that I was actually lying. Not lying just to myself, but lying to other people as well. Man, I was hurting. And I think probably, I don't know if it's easier to say as a church leader or not. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But I just got to where, man, I just started saying, you know what? I'm struggling. I'm struggling today. And you'd be surprised at how many people would be there to help you back up and pray for you right there. Or if they don't pray for you, that's okay, dude. Don't, don't get mad, but at least they know that you're hurting. Right? But that's the second step is to dealing with all this stuff, guys, is to let your people around you love on you. Let them lift you up. I say it time and time and again up here. That's the <laughs> You're robbing somebody of a blessing when you don't even let them love you. Because that's their job. That's our job as a church is to lift people up. Willie talked about it last week. Galatians 6. Helping somebody else up. Being with people when they're hurting, when they're doing wrong, when they got a problem and they're in denial. Helping people back up. One of the obvious reasons that we pose is because we just act like nothing's wrong. We refuse to realize that we have a problem. We don't, number two, we don't invite people in because of a fear of being exposed or 
as something other than perfect. Number three might be because we don't know that we even have a problem, or sometimes we do know we have a problem, we just don't know what to do about it. I think a lot of us fall in that category. We know we have problems. Not everybody's narcissistic. Most of us know we have problems. We just don't know what to do about it. And this is why I'm up here. But let's get real. Usually when life knocks you down, it's because of a relationship or someone hurt you or something happened out of your control and you forgive that person. That way you can allow God's grace to flow through you. Right? First step is to let God help you. Second step is to love other, let other people love on you. The third step is when those other people love on you, they usually remind you that something happened to you, somebody hurt you, and that you need to forgive them. And that's probably the hardest part. Right? Not even the hardest part. Probably the hardest part is getting up on your hands and knees and you don't have no air. <laughs> but forgiveness isn't easy. But forgiveness is easier when you're around a bunch of forgiving people. Right? It is. And that takes away all of our posing. And guess what? Posing just... I don't know how many times, you know, I've, I've talked to so many people that just, you know, they just think that they don't have any problems. Everything's hunky-dory. Everything's great. But behind the scenes, they just barely got out of bed that morning. Just lost their breath. I don't know how many times that's been me. Just been able to barely get out of bed and I show up and people know there's something wrong. Even though you don't think there's something wrong, people know when something's wrong. Let them help you. Let them help you. My fourth and final step into getting out of this rut and this anxiety and depression is doing exactly what I'm doing now. After getting up off on my knees, my hands and knees, to letting my brothers pick me up, to moving on to forgiveness after they reminded me I needed to, and now I'm on the last step, and that's sharing with others not only Jesus, but what he's done in my heart. I don't preach this sermon without knowing this is the next step, no matter how hard it may be to get up and talk about it. But this is what the final step is. You use your story to help others. And God gets the glory while you do it. This is also called your testimony. This is what I was. This is what I am now. This is what I was a few weeks ago. To think that this is what I was before I got into ministry is just a complete fabricated lie. This is what I was a few weeks ago. And it's it gets easier as, you, as the more you get up here and talk about it. It gets easier to talk about it. It's not easy going through it, but it's easy to talk about it now that I'm on the fourth step, right? But if you're in a debilitating depression or anxiety right now, if you're in, in that right now, because I know lots of people that are, and like I said, they're just not willing to, to admit it. I pray that this helps get you started. This could be your first step in becoming who God wants you to be. This could be the door that God has opened for you to become all that he desires you to be. We all know that quote, that in order to do something that you've never done, you gotta have to, you're going to have to do something that you've never done as well, right? One of the biggest descriptions of freedom that Jesus <laughs> offers, I heard this week, and I don't know who said if it was Kevin or if it was Brad or what, but it was in our ministry meeting. <laughs> and it's that God gives us this unlimited pasture to ride in, Right? He gives us all this freedom. And as a Christian, we get to go into this pasture. Most beautiful pasture you've ever seen in your life. Green grass, mountains, trees, unlimited water, fish to catch. If you're a good fisherman, I'm not. 
I like to fish, but I'm not very good at it. <laughs> That's why I raise cows. <laughs> but God gives us this abundant place with unlimited acreage. And yet we think the 10 acres on the other side is what's going to help us. Now, whether I don't know what that 10 acres is for you, but I would be willing to, best, to bet that that anxiety and depression often makes you go there. Whether it's anxiety or depression or not, I don't know. Maybe that 10 acres is alcoholism. Maybe it's an eating disorder. Maybe it's workaholism. I don't know what it is. But it's a symptom, right? God gives us all this freedom that we could ever want. All this freedom that we could ever want. And yet we choose to go to a different small pasture where we're just confined smaller. And most of the time, that pastures, it looks green, but really all that's out there is just a bunch of sponge grass. Loco weed, sponge grass, yucca. Looks green. Always stays green. This is the kind of love that God can make you into the person that he wants you to be. This is the kind of love that God transforms people in. This is the kind of love that transforms people, right? That grace, that forgiveness that I was just talking about. This is the kind of love that transforms you and kickstarts you out of all of that stuff that's hurting you. And like I said, I'm, I'm coming back to this. Maybe somebody in here isn't struggling with what I'm talking about, but they probably know somebody who is. Maybe your fourth step is telling, telling your story of how you survived to somebody who's hurting, offering it to them. They may not take it, but at least you did your job of offering it to them, offering them help, being that brother to help them back up. And once you help them back up, you know, I've heard so many stories and, and I've heard so many people that have been delivered from, from their hurts, from their past pains and things like that. And the first time they cry their way through their pain and they talk about it when they share about it. And after the fourth or fifth time that they start sharing that, they start sharing their stories and sharing how God has healed them and sharing what God's been doing in their life. These are people that probably came from nothing, didn't have any Christianity, any background in it at all. And yet after the fourth or fifth time, there's no tears anymore. They're just so joyful because of what God has done in their life. That's the grace that sets you free. That's the love that sets you free. But somehow those people are few and far between the people that actually do something about it. Right? I wonder how many people get up and tell their stories versus the people that just don't do anything about it. I don't know where you're at. I don't know where if you're in a dark place right now. Because sometimes a lot of people that are in dark places right now, they don't tell you. They don't. Some of them do, some of them don't. But most of them don't. If you're in a dark place right now and you're in denial and you won't admit what you're going on to right now, I pray that these steps help you, these four steps. Just get you started. I also pray that if you guys know somebody that is going through that, I pray that you just share these simple four steps with them. I don't know if it'll completely change everything for them, but it'll at least get them started. It'll at least let them know that they're loved. couple of verses as I start to close is uh, Philippians 4 um, verses 6 through um, 9. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart 
in the minds of Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? Don't be anxious about anything, but with everything, let God handle it. Give it to God. That's what that cliche means, is to give it to God. Let him be the first person to help you up. I know it's hard to trust him. I heard tons of stories this week, even Kevin's story about, uh, I don't know if I could share it or not, Kevin, about whenever you were talking, when Jesus told you to come here and sit on his lap. Jesus, or Kevin was praying one day and reading, and, and uh, just as plain as day, Jesus was on the other side of the table. Jesus told Kevin to come here, and he said, no. No, I'm not going to do it. Jesus said, come sit on my lap. He said, no. I'm not going to do it. Because I know what it feels like to have that father pain, and I'm not going to let you in there either. You're not going to hurt me. I can remember Kevin just as he was talking about it. He was tearing up just because it was as plain as day to him. But I remember when he said he just went over there and sat on his lap for an hour and just bawled. I can remember that in my own, my own instance with that one, Jesus. I finally let Jesus in. I'd been in ministry for seven years and had no connection with people, really. I, I knew a lot about Jesus, but I didn't really know him. But that moment when I let him in, to hold my hand as that little boy that had been hurt. That's what saved me. That's what saved me. I'm not perfect by no means, but that's what saved me. That's the grace that sets you free. First Peter 5, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble, the people who admit their struggles. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion for someone to devour. Resist him, Stand, standing strong in the faith, because you know that the faith of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings that you are. You're not alone. And this is my favorite part. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered for a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. That's the grace that changes you. That's the love that changes you. It makes me tear up just thinking about what he's done for me, guys. I'm not a teary guy, and I hate my I I shouldn't say hate because I can't stand my counselors for opening up the floodgates in my eyes because I cry all the stinking time now. I'm that guy. I'm that awkward guy that just sits down and cries sometimes now. I don't know why. I don't like it. <laughs> starts happening. I start making excuses. I just sweating. <laughs> loving. I'm feeling. I can actually feel again. I can feel it. I can feel love. I can feel it. Thank you, Lord. James one twelve blesses the one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of the life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. God doesn't always give us the grace that changes everything, but he gives us the grace that changes us. That was Brad McLean's this morning. If you're in control, you'll never be sure. Once you've laid down your life for his will, you'll never doubt that he loves you, nor that he has forsaken you. And that, my friends, is the truth. In the times of being oxygen deprived, he is always with you. He's that first one there. You know how he's that first one there? Sometimes you may not feel him right away, but guess what? I don't know how many times I've felt the love of God through somebody else that picked me up. 
That goes right into step number two, because sometimes step number two is actually step number one. Letting Jesus love you is sometimes letting someone else love you. He loves you too much to leave you like you are. Jesus didn't save you to let you drown. There are so many of us that struggle with anxiety, depressions, you name it, even while accepted Jesus. And my word for you is that Jesus didn't save you to let you drown. He didn't save you to let you die again. He didn't save you to just say, yep, saved you. Now you're on your own. He came to set the captives free. I love that story. He he came to set the captives free. The people that are struggling. The people that are in that cave chained down. Letting Satan beat all over them. Some of you may be at the end of your rope, hopeless, that you can't get away from the pain and there's only one way out. Maybe it's suicide, maybe it's alcoholism, eating disorders, maybe, it, maybe all that leads to suicide because you can't get away from the pain. And let me tell you, let me give you a little insight to it. I've been myself suicidal and had suicidal thoughts. I don't know if this is an interview. I don't know where you guys are, whoever's listening to this. Maybe not be for anybody in this room, maybe for somebody listening later. But let me tell you something that lots of people think that suicide is selfish, but I can guarantee you the last thing that's going through that person's mind is just trying to get away from pain as a counselor that's near and dear to my heart. I know what that feels like. I used to be that person that said I would never go there, never ever go there, would never even think about that. That was just so selfish just to do all that to the people that love you. But guess what? When I was there, the only thing that was going through my mind was just trying to get away from the pain. I can tell you a story that Jesus saved my life that night. Intervined invention like I've never seen. I can tell you the story. I'm not going to do it right now, but I can tell you it. It makes me cry every time. I can't promise you that you'll never deal with all of it again, but I can promise you that when it hits, it won't be as bad as it was the last time, and that's what these steps do. Just getting up on your hands and knees gives you just enough strength just to go to the next step, and then the next step, and then the next step. Sometimes that step lasts six months. Sometimes these four steps last... 10 years for some people. Sometimes it lasts five years. Let me tell you, it lasted about three years for me. I was stuck on step number three, admitting for a long time. Long time. Until this last year, even. About a year and a half. That's when I finally admitted I have a problem. But now when that depression and anxiety hits, man, a few weeks ago it hit me, and normally I would have been down for six, seven months probably. Just out of it, not there, can't think. I don't know which way is north, east, southwest half the time. I'm out of breath, can't breathe. That's debilitating. A little, and if you don't struggle with that stuff, there's, there's a glimpse into what it really feels like. So maybe you can give a grace to somebody that does struggle with it. But now I know that these steps have helped me to where I'm back in three weeks. Maybe that's as fast as it'll ever get, but it sure is better than six or seven months. Closing all, I'll close with this. I don't know why I was finishing up this sermon this afternoon. And for some odd reason, during Brad's sermon, Bob Ross came to mind. No idea why. (laughs) No idea why. Me and Corey were laughing about it. That's why we were laughing, Kevin. You were probably looking straight over at us like, what, is that? what are those idiots doing over there? That's why they don't let us sit together. 
<laughs> but have you guys ever watched him like when he's painting? At the end of his masterpiece, he will just run a nasty brush over the middle of it. And there'll just be a big old streak. And you're like, what are you doing? And he'll be like, and right here, we're just going to place a happy little tree. We're just going to place a happy little tree right here. And I feel like that's a lot of us that happens in our lives. It's that canvas that Brad was talking about this morning, that blank canvas. It's like when we get to the end of it, and it's almost a big masterpiece, and somebody just comes and just wrecks it. If we let them wreck it and we stay down, that big, nasty brown stain is going to be right there in the middle of our painting and we're never going to fix it. But if we let God come behind us, just like Brad was talking about, and let God just make that happy little tree into the best masterpiece you've ever seen in your life, that's the grace that sets you free. If you're in that depressional stage right now or anxious stage right now, if you're thinking about ending and all, whatever the case may be, if you know somebody like that, man, let them come, let God come behind you and just finish that masterpiece. Let him love you. That's the grace that sets us free. That's the grace that kicks us into being able to talk about our stories, changing our hearts. Just like Brad was talking about. I know, I know lots of people that have been perv- just awful, awful, nasty mouth men that just denied God their whole entire life. And then the last few days of their lives, I've sat as they went from the, this world to the next because I knew they were going to die. I watched Jesus change them in those last few days because they knew it was over, but they still accepted Jesus. I've seen people in the same exact situation that have denied God their whole entire life. But something happened in their life that made them run to God. And to be honest, the, the biggest reason why a lot of those guys ran to God was because of somebody they knew that acted like Jesus. I don't know where you're at. I don't know who you know. If you need to share this with somebody, I pray that you do that's struggling. Or maybe it's for you. Because I do know there's a lot of people that won't open up about their struggles and admit that they have any. And if you don't want to tell me, if you don't want to tell Kevin, Ty, whoever, just tell somebody. Tell somebody. You can use these four steps. But just remember step number two, tell somebody. Let somebody love you. Because sometimes that's God loving you. Not only does God speak through other people, sometimes that's how he talks to you. That's how, if you ask for wisdom, sometimes that's how he instills wisdom. It's been happening to me this week. I asked God to reveal wisdom to me, and he gave it through other men. And that's exactly how love works as well. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, lots of times God loves through other people. He loves through other people. And that's the grace that sets us free. Which side of oxygen deprived are you on? Are you on the proverbial mountaintop? Good, then help somebody up. Are you in the lowest valley? Then good, come home and find some love, grace, forgiveness, and ultimately the life that Jesus wants for you. And that's a life free of bondage. He came to set the captives free. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much just for what you're doing in our lives. God, it's so hard sometimes to get up here and talk about this stuff. It's not easy to put together all the thoughts that I want to put together. Sermon writing is mostly just figuring out what to leave out, Lord. But one thing I leave in is just the love that you offer us every single time. As a wise man once told me, he asked, what are you going to preach about? And I said, I don't know. He's like, well, it's a good idea to involve Jesus. No kidding. 
Lord, we thank you for the grace that sets us free. God, if there's somebody who's listening right now that just needs, needs you, Lord, if they need your love, they need your grace like we all do, Lord, I pray that you give them the strength and the wisdom just to get up on their knees, catch their breath a little, let you love them, let somebody else love them, let them lift them up. It may not be one of their friends, Lord. Maybe it'll be a local pastor they've never even met before. Maybe it's a little old lady at the grocery store. But God, if there's somebody struggling, give them the breath that they need to let somebody help them and love on them, Lord. Because we want them to have a life free of bondage, bondage and a life of freedom that only you can give. Nothing else can give that, Lord, besides you. Keep our eyes away from the 10 acres that are just going to kill us and put them back on you. Because you, Lord, give the grace that changes lives. And it's your name we ask these things and praise your name. Amen. Amen.